So my friend Joe, you know, who usually plays percussion down here is running sound this morning. It's too bad, Joe, because I really need you down here. And it would have been great if you'd had like a snare drum because this is going to be the world's worst joke. And it could have used a tadum. So, you know, we're, we're getting ready in this season to uh, pay attention to what the risen Christ is doing in our world. So you may have heard this really dumb joke. You know, a blind guy walks into a store. He's got his C&I dog. And he walks to the middle of the store, he grabs his dog by the tail, and just starts swinging it around. The manager comes up and goes, sir, what are you doing? And the guy says, oh, just looking around. Ta-da. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. <laughs> so right now in Hawaii, <laughs> people are just getting up. In New York, it's about 1.30, probably people who have gone to church and gone to lunch and walking through Central Park if it's a nice day. In London or Johannesburg, it's about dinner time. In Moscow, there are probably people coming home from a night out. And in Tokyo and Hong Kong, it's the middle of the night. And I can guarantee you in Hawaii, somebody in the name of Jesus is buying somebody else a cup of coffee or picking up their newspaper and bringing it in for the old person who lives next to them. I can guarantee you that right this second, as Christians walk through Central Park in New York City, somebody's walking past a beggar and giving them $5 in the name of Jesus. In Johannesburg or London, where it's dinner time, I can see Christians sitting and having a dinner and maybe thinking about how God might use them in the coming months or years. I can picture people coming home in Moscow from a night out thankful what God had done in church tonight. And in Hong Kong and in Tokyo and all over Asia, I can picture Christians lying down, resting, and maybe dreaming what God might do through them. So here's the reality. You only have to wake up and you know, go online and to read the scandal of some minister who just slept with somebody who wasn't his wife or her husband or somebody who stole money, and it dominates the news. But you need to picture this. Not just in your mind, this is not just an imaginative thought, but I hope it becomes a sort of a deep and permanent thought in your mind. That it is literally true to say that right now, millions of Christians all over this world are living for Jesus. And they are doing acts of goodness in Jesus' name. And it never gets talked about, it never gets heard. Hardly anyone ever notices. All you hear is another priest got arrested for molesting children. And it dominates the news for weeks or months or even years. But all around us, millions, if not billions, of young of, of Christians of all ages are doing acts of kindness in Jesus' name. So it's not just pre-scandals or televangelist scandals that are real. What's actually more real, more permanent, more enduring, what's been happening for all time is God working through people. So the psalm we read this morning, Psalm 133, this is what's known as the psalm, one of the psalms of ascent uh, that the pilgrims used to sing on their way up to Jerusalem. And they, they kind of retold the story every time there was a great feast. But more than that, it helped them to look forward to the day when God would be king, when he would be all in all, and his promise to be their God and they, his people, would be fulfilled. 
And our current liturgical season works much the same way. You know, we've just gone through 40 days of kind of introspective, repentant days of Lent. We went through the sorrow of early Holy Week and then on to the joy of Easter. And now in Easter season, we too are looking for the ways his will is being fulfilled amongst us. So in the same way these early pilgrims are looking for the will of God, we're doing the same. Now, you wouldn't know this because this is sort of insider talk, but uh, in, inside the sort of Catholic, Orthodox, Anglican world, this is known as Low Sunday. Now, not just low because the attendance is usually low after Easter, but it had different meanings. But it's come to be known as sort of low Easter, meaning it's sort of like, you know, there's this big buildup at Easter, and then everybody sort of breathes a, a big sigh of relief, and we go back to normal. But what this season asks us to do is shout a big no to that. That is, Dennis helped write in our little web blurb this week that Aslan's loose. Far from going back to normal, we're going to what the heck? The lion's loose. And what's he doing? What's he up to? What's going on here? It reminds us this Easter season that we live in a God-bathed, God-permeated world. And what I'm suggesting that we do the next seven weeks between now and Pentecost is that we take on the spiritual practice of noticing with joy what the resurrected Jesus is already doing in your world. Not the world as I talked about it, but in your world. And I guess as the world comes to your attention, that's fine too. But we want to learn to notice with joy what Jesus is doing. Pause to appreciate it. Find meaning in it to the degree that you can. This is not a test. It's just pause to find some meaning in it. And then tell us about it. And for this, we've done something very practical. And that is there's a, a space on our website now, a new space on the website where in the next six, seven weeks, as you see God moving in your world, not necessarily through you, but it could be, but it's just if you, when you have what I'm calling here a God sighting, I want you to go to the website and just in a couple of sentences, tell us about it. And then we can all just read this together and encourage one another that God is actually loose in the world. Because here's what I think I see. And so you'll just have to try this on for size. I think to the degree that we live increasingly in a post-Christian country, Christians are losing confidence. And I get it. I'm not slamming anybody. Now, some of you in this room are old enough to remember when, when you would hear a little something, a phrase that came out of the new age, how it sounded like really weird and odd. Now, it's mainstream. The other day, I was at the doctor, and this nurse was talking to me and telling me about the dangers and evil of stress. She's obviously not a Christian, but she's highly spiritual. And she was just with great joy explaining to me her non-religious spirituality and telling me about, you know, you might want to think about praying when you're stressed. And, and you know, she's just going on and on, just so easily talking about it because that's what's normal today. Here's what you need to know. When we talk now about specific sort of Christian ideas, it sounds as weird in the world as New Age thought did 30 or 35 years ago. It's just the way it is. There's no one to blame. If there is, I don't know who it is, and it's none of my business anyway. I'm not trying to assign blame. What I'm trying to say, and, and sorry for the, the baseball analogy here, but I used to be a catcher, and that meant, of course, I hit, so I knew this from both sides of the plate, so to speak. But, you know, as a catcher, what we'd do is we'd, if I was a right-handed batter, we would throw balls kind of down and away from a right-handed batter, and then he'd start leaning out there, and then I'd call for one high and tight, and it would back the hitter up, 
and get him on his heels. And you can't hit from your heels. You can't, it can't be done. And we're on our heels. As a, generally speaking, as a church, we're on our heels. Because everything in popular media, web-based, TV, radio, movies, music, uh, it's all basically questioning what we were previously saying and doing. And so I think we need to practice these God sightings, if nothing else, than to give ourselves confidence that God's not stumped. You know, like God's not up in heaven pacing the golden streets, you know, his anthropomorphic head held in his anthropomorphic hands, you know, going, oh, myself, you know. <laughs> what am I going to do? I didn't anticipate postmodernism. You know, please, Peter, go do a Google search. What the heck's epistemology, you know? Who's Foucault and, Do and Rorty and Derrida? And I especially can't stand that Stanley Fish. He told everybody my book doesn't matter. I mean, really, you think God's stumped? Like, like it's sort of like checkmate and God doesn't know what to do here? No, I think, I think Aslan is loose. And he's loose all over your world. And what I want to invite you into these next seven weeks is just the spiritual practice of noticing. And remember I said yesterday, no guilt, no shame, no manipulation. We don't do that here. This is just take your genuine fondness for God and marry it to a little practice of observation. And you'll begin to see what he's doing. And then I think you'll begin to get some confidence. See, this is what's happening, of course, in this letter to John that we read this morning, if you want to look at it in your bulletin where John says, that which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at, and our hands have touched, this is what we proclaim and testify to you. Now, of course, we can't do that. And I think all of us, if we're honest, at one point or another, have wished that we could like literally see or touch Jesus. But God in his wisdom did not leave Jesus embodied in the way we think of it, where he could only be in one place at one time. But God in his wisdom sent the Holy Spirit and, and that has this more this feel of, of um, omnip I mean, omnipresence to it. And that, that now Christ can be present everywhere to anybody at all times. That's the miracle of Easter. And so John says, we're proclaiming this to you. We're testifying to you this so that you would not sin. And that doesn't mean perfection. It means so that you wouldn't live a life that's missing the mark. But that you would be sort of in alignment with God. And then in John's gospel, he says, I'm writing you these things so that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you might have life in his name. So you see what John's after? I'm, I'm writing these things to you so that you don't live out of alignment with what God's doing. And I'm writing it, on the other hand, that you might have life in his name. Now, let me tell you one of the saddest things I've observed in 30, 35 years of being a pastor. There is more drama in a life lived in the kingdom of God than you can ever imagine. But the vast majority of people say no to that, and they find drama in their life through romance, consumerism, materialism, you know, just the basic sort of sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And it never satisfies that deep hunger we all have for a life of drama, a life that matters. I mean, you were built for drama. I don't mean drama in the stupid negative sense. I mean, you were built to be somebody. You are a never-ceasing spiritual being. 
who has a huge role to play in the new heavens and the new earth. That's who you are. Whether you like it or not, that is who you are. You're not trying to become spiritual. You are spiritual innately by being. And as a spiritual person created in the image of God, you're built for the drama of God. You're built for his story. And so what we're trying to do here is learn to be alert to this so that we can have life and not be trying to to make a life or find a life through the drama of our own creation, constantly being mad at somebody, constantly needing something more different than what you have. You know, people build all kinds of drama into their lives. You know, they can't get along with their colleagues at work, and that sort of becomes their station in life, and everybody just knows that's who they are, and that's how they find drama, and that drama becomes addictive, and that's how they live. But John says, no, I want you to have life, because even Jesus says, even as the Father have sent me, so I send you. So our scriptures this morning give us some kind of ancient God sightings. You know, the one in Acts, if you want to look at it, it gives us a God sighting of unity against the backdrop of what would have been really entrenched diversity. I mean, don't think of the early church as having some sort of cheesy or institutionally enforced unity. This was a miraculous unity because they had cultural, ethnic, worldview, religious, all kinds of diversity amongst them. The reason it was a God sighting is because it was so amazing. It was a unity of purpose and mission and creed. I'm sorry, purpose and mission and values. One way to think about it is that before there were creeds unifying us, there was a community who had experienced a God sighting. They'd seen the resurrected Jesus, and this produced in them a unity. Secondly, there was this God sighting of everybody sharing everything and that no one claimed their possessions was their own. They shared everything they had. And again, the miracle here is not a miracle of sort of an ancient communism or an ancient socialism, not even an ancient Christian socialism. That's not the miracle here. The miracle here is that there was generosity in the midst of deep poverty. These were essentially very poor people. And they weren't clinging to the little they had, rather they were sharing it. And this is why compassion, especially compassion slash generosity, has always been such a hallmark of Christian spirituality. Well, of course, the psalm underlines this morning this theme of unity and and what a miracle it is. And then in the gospel reading, we have another one of these God sightings where it was a literal God sighting, where Jesus came and stood among them, and he said, and here's one of the things that I would just sort of give you a little helpful hint, those of you who need a tip to get going. When, when they had a God sighting of the risen Jesus, he said to them, peace, I give to you. If you don't know where else to start, just tomorrow or maybe next week, start looking for places where you see God's peace breaking in your family, friendships, work relationships, and you will have a God sighting. Because when Jesus shows up, that's a big part of what he does, peace. And then, secondly, another God sighting is, and when he said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Find places in your life where you see people being animated by the Spirit of God. Just notice it. And like I said, try to place a little meaning on it. And if you would, you know, no one has to do this. It's just an invitation. Go to the website and tell us about it. Well, then you have this little story of Thomas, if you're looking at your gospel reading there. And, you know, Thomas hears that this God sighting happened. He doesn't believe it. And he says, unless I see, I'll never believe. 
And Jesus comes in and says to Thomas, you know the story, put your finger here, see my hands, put your hand on my side. And he says to him, do not disbelieve, but believe. This is another little thing you can look for as you go through this next week. Look for places where belief is breaking through. And then Thomas answers him, you know, and says the strongest statement maybe in all of the Bible that anybody says of Jesus, my Lord and my God. And Jesus says to him, and I want you to hear this because this is the exact position we're in. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. That's in the exact position we're in. He is thinking of us when he says that. None of us have ever seen the resurrected Christ. None of us have ever had the chance to feel his hands, his side, to see the scars. We've never had that chance. And Jesus says, blessed are those who have not seen yet are believing. And all I'm saying is that as we go through and notice these things, I think our own believing will be strengthened. And here's what I want you to to hear as we go into this. You're not gonna have to work hard to see God moving. This is not gonna be like just adding another bit of busyness to your life. This little practice of noticing that I'm talking about is driven and fueled and made possible by the will of God. It's Jesus who's determined to get to Thomas, not Thomas who's out looking for Jesus. Thomas is with the rest of everybody in a room, afraid of the Jews, afraid of the political environment, afraid of, the, afraid of now the non-Christian atmosphere out there. Is this sounding familiar? You know, kind of an early version of post-Christianity. The early disciples were feeling exactly what we feel right now. Misunderstood, outcasts, no one gets us. People are afraid of us. They misunderstand our motives. They're feeling exactly what we're feeling and they're locked behind doors. But Jesus doesn't let doors or deadbolts or chains keep him from revealing himself to the people he loves. You're not gonna have to work at this. You know what you're gonna find? The slightest little bit of trying to notice is gonna make your world go from black and white to color. And you will see all around you that Aslan is indeed loose and he's about his business. He's doing what he does. And so what we're wanting to do is in our kind of postmodern relativistic culture, we want to learn to see. Because it's my supposition that if we can see, that we will not be able to see or encounter the risen Christ and remain the same. That a God sighting always propels people to action, to forgiveness, to benevolence, to faith sharing, to whatever. Just go, if you just think through your passages again today, all the God sightings, they changed everybody, made them different, drove them to godly action. As we pause now and kind of get ready to go into these weeks, I want you to just think with me, where have you seen God transforming the world? And then when you notice him, I just want you to think with me the next number of weeks, how does it affect you? And if it's affecting you the way I suppose, if it's bringing you some confidence, some belief, some hope, some sense of groundedness, then maybe you could ask yourself, where might I aim this newfound confidence? Where do you see God transforming the world? When you notice him, how does it affect you? And where might you aim the confidence or hope or love that you gain? Amen.